It's great to be here. It's great to see you all here. I'm glad to be back and with you all tonight. And the past few weeks have been confusing, right? And challenging and heartbreaking even for many of us and for thousands around us. And it's been hard to know just to, uh, just hard to know what to do or to say in light of just the devastating events of the campfire. And I hope that tonight you can experience clarity in knowing God's love better and understanding how to respond to it. So before I begin, let's pray together again. Lord, we thank you so much for everything you're doing in our lives. You are love and you are loving toward us. We want to thank you for that. We want to understand that better. I want to understand that better even, God. I want to pursue you more with every step that I'm taking. And I just pray that everybody, all of us in this room, would feel the same, that we would want to pursue you. And for those of us who do not know you, Lord, I just ask that you would reveal yourself through your spirit, through the words that I say tonight. God, this is something that you are doing in each one of our lives. And we're so thankful to you for everything you're doing, even in the midst of tragedy, in the midst of everything going on. In your name, amen. So God is love. First John 4, 8 says, anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. So to start, let's unpack this phrase, God is love. What do we mean when we say this? The first thing is that love is intrinsic to God's nature. Love is intrinsic to God's nature. A.W. Tozer, in his book, The Knowledge of the Holy, says the words, God is love, mean that love is an essential attribute of God. That's just a really simple, nice definition of this. And then John Piper has a quote, I think it's on the screen, he says that when we talk about God is love, he says, this does not mean that God is an old-fashioned name for the ideal of love. It suggests, rather, that one of the best words to describe God's character is love. God's nature is such that, in his fullness, he needs nothing, but rather overflows in goodness. It is his nature to love. So don't miss this. He needs nothing there's nothing we can do to add to God in any way. And he overflows in goodness. He created us. He gave us a purpose. He gave us access to himself. And so our very existence is a testament to God's love. And then there's a second way we can understand the phrase, God is love. To God is the tr God's is the truest, purest kind of love. God's love. God's is the truest, purest kind of love. God is how we measure love. The word love is used for lots of different things in our day-to-day -day conversation, but uh, he, he is the measure of love. To say that God is love means that all other forms of love pale in comparison to the love that he offers. About a month ago, I was reading my Bible and came along, uh, came across this in uh, 1 Corinthians 16. Be, it says, be watchful, stand firm in the faith, act like men, be strong. Let all that you do be done in love. When I read this, I realized 
that there's a big difference between how, how we think about love culturally and how God's love actually works. Cultural love is soft. Cultural love is fluffy, right? I love you. And we see this in movies and all these different things. You could say that cultural love is like a kitten. We have a picture for that? There he is. God's love, as we see it through the Bible, and as we see it, as we experience it, it is strong, and it is intense. God's love looks more like a lion. Do you have that one? Yeah, here he is. So, in God's word, uh, he's compared to a lion more than he's compared to a kitten. Um, the kitten may be cute, but this kind of love is frail and weak. There's a word that consists, that's consistently used to describe God's love, and that is steadfast. Here are a few examples. Psalm 86.15 says, But you, O Lord, are a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. Deuteronomy 7.9, Know therefore that the Lord your God is God, the faithful God, who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments for a thousand generations. And then one more, Isaiah 54, 10, says God's love is steadfast. Uh, oh, sorry, for the mountains may depart and the hills may be removed, but my steadfast love shall not depart from you and my covenant of peace shall not be removed, says the Lord, who has compassion on you. God's love is steadfast, meaning that it is unfailing, persistent, immovable, and not subject to change. The love that we produce is fluid and unstable. And as we see in Isaiah, God's love is still compassionate in the midst of its intensity. Okay? All this to say, God is love. That term means that one love is one of God's defining attributes. And it also means that he defines and is the ultimate measurement of true love. Now that we have a better understanding of the term, God is love, I want to take a look at two significant aspects of God's love. The first is that God's love is unfathomable. That's a, that's a blank you got there. God's love is unfathomable. Big word. Sounded smart up here. Uh, God's love is unfathomable. Let's take a look at another verse about God's love. Ephesians 3, 17 through 18. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power, together with all the Lord's holy people, to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. Now this, this thing here, to grasp God's love, it's one of those things in the Bible that we're, we're, somewhat, we're pretty much incapable of in this life, uh, but it's totally worth our striving toward it to, to grasp or to wrap our mind around God's love because it's unfathomable. Here's an example. Early this month, my wife Mariana and I, we drove from Texas to California. If you don't know why, I can tell you later. Along the way, we stopped by the Grand Canyon. I have a picture. Uh, there we are, and neither of us had been there before. Uh, it just seemed like a good, a good idea, a good opportunity since we were in the area, we're driving by. And then I've uh, got another picture here. 
there's lots of pictures of the Grand Canyon, but this one's mine. Uh, <laughs> the thing is, uh, I kind of have a fear of heights, and when I'm standing at the edge of something, I usually get freaked out, I get skittish. I don't know if you guys uh, feel that way as well, but at the Grand Canyon, you, l- you look across and into the vast expanse, and it's almost unreal, so unreal, so unfathomable, in fact, that I, I didn't have a fear of heights while I was there. Got one more picture. It's like my brain was, my brain was unable to like, comprehend the magnitude of what I was standing next to. I just couldn't wrap my mind around it. And I think that that's how God loves, God's love is, is we can't really wrap our mind around it or grasp it. In Romans 11, verse 33 says, Oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and unfathomable his ways. His ways are unfathomable. So one question people often ask of God is, how could a loving God let this happen? And the big question right now is, how could a loving God allow a fire to rip through 150,000 acres of land, destroying 18,000 structures, and killing 88 people and counting? I have an image for you. This is a hard thing to wrestle with. And you may have lost your home a few weeks ago. You may know somebody who lost their home. You may know somebody who lost their life. And even if none of these things happen to you, I'm sure most, if not all of us, are challenged by the idea of what God's love could mean or where it could even be at a time like this. The truth is God's sovereignty and God's love transcend our understanding. This is part of what it means for his love to be unfathomable. Isaiah 55, 8 says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. He is the creator We're the creation. And his ways are not just different from ours, they are far above ours. And a child needs to be held down in order to receive a life-saving vaccine or a shot because the doctor's and the parent's wisdom exceeds the limited perspective of the child in pain. A wounded animal fights back against a human who attempts to free it from a trap because the animal has a limited perspective. These examples don't even begin to describe just how different and above us God truly is. Augustine puts it this way, since God is the highest good, since God is the highest good, he would, he would not allow any evil to exist in his works unless his omnipotence and goodness were such as to bring good even out of evil. This means that we can trust God to bring good into our lives as we cling to him through the trial. James 1 says, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Another one, Romans 5 Three through four says, more than that, we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. 
not only do we trust God in the midst of suffering, knowing that he is a greater, more supreme being than us, but we also trust him knowing that the trials and the suffering that we endure strengthen us and they produce character and even hope in our hearts. So God's love is also unconditional. That's the second part of this. God's love is unconditional. It has no conditions. 1 John 4.19 says, We love because he first loved us. As we've seen, all true love in the universe derives from God. That makes him the initiator of all love. His love does not depend on a condition or clause. No, he extends it to us so that we can receive the satisfaction of knowing him and bringing him glory. Romans 5, 8. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He took initiative when we were in no place to do anything. We're fulfilled in life by experiencing God's love for us and responding to it in love. So that's what I'm going to talk about next is how to respond to God's love. Starting with accept God's love. That's the next blank you have. Accept God's love. This is the first step in responding to God's love is to accept it. John 3.16, anybody know it? For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. This is the gospel. This is the ultimate demonstration of God's love. Do not gloss over this. Remember that John Piper quote says, he needs nothing. God needs nothing, but rather overflows in goodness. He gave us his son as a substitute for our righteousness. First John 4, 9, in this, the love of God was made manifest among us. That God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. So Jesus is the manifestation of God's love come down, poured out for us. I have two applications for us. First, if you've not committed your life to follow Jesus Christ, this is your next step. God sits high above our understanding as well as our goodness. We have given ourselves over to evil, and without his light in our lives, we are subjected to a life and an eternity in darkness. Praise God, you're here, and you're listening to this. God extends his hand of salvation to you tonight, and you no longer have to stumble around in the darkness. For the rest of us who have committed our lives to Jesus, perhaps you've made this step, and you're struggling to see what the big deal is. You still need to hear this. The gospel is not a momentary, fleeting piece of information. No, It's a life-changing, transformational process of your life. Every day, I need to be reminded of God's steadfast love toward me. Lamentations 3, 22 through 23. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. There's that steadfast love again. God's gospel of love applies to you today. Re-recognize that you are a blood-bought child of Christ and you have been set free 
from slavery to sin. Preach the gospel to yourself every day. When we do this, we are responsive, when we are responsive to God's gospel in our lives, he begins to change us. And that takes us to our second response, is to absorb God's love. Absorb God's love. First, we accept it, either by receiving him as our savior for the first time, or doing that every day. And then we absorb God's love into us. So when we commit our lives to Christ, we receive the Holy Spirit. When we receive the Holy Spirit, we're supernaturally enabled to love like God loves. Romans 5, 5. This is the continuation of Romans 5, 3 through 4. Remember that was, what was it again? Suffering leads to endurance. Endurance produces character. And character produces hope. Romans 5, 5. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who's been given to us. God's intense, unfathomable, unconditional love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who's been given to us. That's huge. <laughs> All this stuff we've been talking about, about how immeasurable this is, and how just incomprehensible God's love is, is something that we can not only access for ourselves, but can shine toward other people. John 13, 34 through 35, Jesus is saying, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Did you catch that? Just as I have loved you, just as Jesus has loved you, love one another. God's design is not only that we bask in the love of God, but we ought to walk in it and love people like that. So how many, how many of you know, how many of you heard the song Reckless Love? Raise a show of hands. It's pretty popular. It's a worship song. It talks about God's love for us. Uh, it's sort of been made into lots of memes. Since the song was released, um, I have one here. Uh, <laughs> this was sent in a group chat uh, by uh, credits to Jake, Jake Hansen. So the, the purpose of the song, it's to bring us to a state of awe that we should feel toward the way God loves us. But at times, I've sort of been skeptical toward the song because it doesn't say much about our response to God's love. And so, but the last time it played at church, however, I thought about it more closely and I realized something. I realized that the overwhelming, never-ending, reckless love of God is the kind of love that we, as followers of Christ, should possess. This isn't just something that God's chasing us down, but it's something that we should possess. This should challenge us. You know, not only do we experience God's abundant love, but we take it, pour it into our lives, and love God and those around us in this way. This th thought has really um, retrained the way that I hear this song, and it invites me to reach out to others in a way that climbs mountains and kicks down walls. 2 Corinthians 5, 14 through 15 says, For Christ's love compels us, because we are convinced that one died for all, and therefore all died. And he died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. The Bible doesn't call for selfish hoarding of God's love, but rather selfless reflection of God's love. 
Let's say that again. The Bible doesn't call for selfish hoarding of God's love, but rather selfless reflection of God's love. So an application for you is to spend time with God so that you can love like he loves. While we do receive the Holy Spirit, there is still an effort on our part. We need to spend time with God in order to become more like him and love selflessly. And this comes not from pious, obligatory, quiet times or prayers. We love like him by seeking him for the great all-satisfying treasure that he is. This leads well into my final point, adore God for his love. Adore God for his love. Francis Chan says in his book, Crazy Love, this is how God longs for us to respond to his extravagant, unending love, not with a cursory, quiet time plagued by guilt, but with true love expressed through our lives. Psalm 63 verse 3 says, Because your steadfast love is better than life, my lips will praise you. This gives us perspective and understanding behind the way we worship. Because, the psalmist says, your steadfast love, God's steadfast love, is better than life, my lips will praise you. He was wholeheartedly responding to God by choosing to praise him. Even as a worship leader, I've wondered at times what it really means to worship God. And worship isn't confined to music. It is an outpouring of our lives in the things we choose to do and the way we do them, in the things we choose to say and the way we say them. Romans 12, 11, Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. An application for you is to fight to keep Jesus as your first love. You gotta fight to keep Jesus as your first love. This term, your first love, comes from Revelation 2, 4, it says, but I have this against you, that you have left your first love. This is a letter to a church. He says that you have left your first love. It's coined in this verse in, take the two words and put them together. First, your number one priority and love and affectionate devotion. Everyone, I want us all to leave here with a greater understanding and sense of God's love in our lives and the ways in which we ought to respond to it. And we're going to go out into the world and be tempted into thinking that the love of God is as wimpy as the love that our culture sells us. But God's steadfast love trumps that and it is worth celebrating. In a minute, we're going to worship God in song. And as we do, give, him, give, over, give yourself over to God to be overwhelmed in love for him. Adore him with your life and the way you live it. And praise God with your lips. Because your steadfast love is better than my life. My lips will praise you. Let's pray together. Father, we're so blessed by you. We are so blessed to be in a, in a group, in a body of believers. And God, you give us wisdom and discernment and, and love that we do not earn. I ask now that we would continue tonight in a state of just reflection, trying to understand what you want from each of us, 
What is your word telling us right now, each of us? God, we thank you so much for everything you're doing, everything you've done, even through events that are beyond our control, that we can't understand. But you are supreme, and we acknowledge that. And we acknowledge that you are going to glorify yourself and bring good, even when we don't understand. Thank you for your love. In your name, amen.